Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everyone. If you got a Bible with you, open up to Galatians 2. Galatians 2, this is week three of four. Been looking through Galatians 2.20. Isn't God's word neat? It's, it's incredible in that one, one verse, four weeks, scripture is a treasure trove filled with truth. And it's not just like high-minded kind of, I could take it or leave it kind of truth, like algebra that I learned in, in high school for a little bit. But like it impacts your life, doesn't it? Galatians 2.20. Before we jump in, why don't we start with reading it? If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word, please? I'm going to start in verse 15. Once we get to 20, would, would you read that out loud? Starting in verse 15, though, this is what God's word says to us this morning. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person isn't justified or made right by works of the old Jewish law or doing good things, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one, no one, not one person will ever, ever, ever be justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Does he enable us to fail and fall? Paul says, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20, would you read that out loud, please? I have been crucified with Christ. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. So we talked past two weeks. Um, Paul's been crucified with Christ. Jesus's crucifixion by all accounts might seem like it is a death blow to his movement, but we know that it's different. Jesus destroyed death through his death. And this means victory for anyone that believes in Jesus. On top of that, last week we talked about how Jesus is our resource. He's our fuel source for the life that he calls us to. How do we continue on in faithfulness in following him? It's not with us being really, really strong and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It is Jesus alive in us. Jesus' resurrection power in us 
enabling us to not just be justified before God, but also to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our resource. Today, if you're taking notes, Jesus is our access to this new life as well. You're going to notice a theme with this passage. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anything that we do, but what Jesus has done and what we get from him. Jesus is our access into this new life. If you want to know what it's like or where you can get passion and perseverance, we get it from him. This was now 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago uh, next week, I went to my favorite thing on the planet to date. How many of you have like a favorite, um, a favorite amusement park that you like to go to? No, Mark Cody is shaking his head. No, I don't do that kind of thing. Um, I understand, Mark. <laughs> I'm, from, I'm from South Florida. You might be able to guess what my favorite, my favorite amusement park is. Politics aside, Disney World is an incredible place. Or maybe you've, uh, I don't know, you've done the cruise thing a time or two before. Show of hands, have you, have you been on a cruise before? Who can help me do that well? You're not a travel agent, I get it. So July 2013, my best friend and I, we, uh, we buy tickets to a festival and we drive from Louisville, Kentucky to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we're hanging out at the Electric Factory. It's a very energizing place, right? Ah, 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 I'm sorry. So the Electric Factory is a music venue. It's a music venue. Some really great big names perform there, and Philadelphia has a lot of rich history with music, apparently, um, especially in the hardcore scene. So think metal, just think maybe a little bit faster and a lot of like guttural sounds to, to, to music. And uh, my friend and I, our favorite bands, my favorite band and then his favorite band were playing at the same festival and they're playing the same night and it just makes sense, let's go together. And so we do. And when we walk through the threshold, the doorway, it's like, it's like a whole new world. It was, it was very loud and it felt almost like home to, to 26 year old Tim. Later on, um, my favorite band was playing. They weren't, they weren't the, on the marquee, uh, like my friend's favorite band. But in the middle of their set, there is a guy wearing a very tight red jumpsuit. And then he also had these like things that look like ears like falling down past his head. Do you remember the 1980s? Do you remember the Noid from Domino's? There's a dude that rushes the stage with stacks of pizza boxes in the middle of their set. And this is the kind of place that you, like, 
maybe a mosh pit. Have you heard of that kind of thing before? Bunch of people dancing in the middle of it. And then the Noid, he's on stage. What does he do? He starts chucking pizza into the crowd. And you might think this doesn't sound fun at all. There's pizza shrapnel all over the place. This was amazing. This was the best pizza party I've ever been at in my entire life. That goes down as the, the, the coolest concert I've ever been to in my entire life. There was a process to get there though. In, in order to get there and be there listening to my favorite band and watching the Noid throwing pizza and watching people catch it like Frisbees with dogs and that whole thing There were pieces there that had to fall into place before I could ever gain access to it. Before I could walk through the door, before we even charted our course, I even had to purchase a ticket. You following me so far? This is similar to the Christian life. Jesus invites us to this big, wonderful adventure of following him. And in spite of our sin, Jesus still invites us to follow him. We can have our sin forgiven. That's the point of the cross. I don't, I will never, ever, ever measure up to God's standard. But that's not all that the Christian life is about. God changes me to look more like him. How do we do that? That's what we're talking about today, this access to this new life that Jesus provides. So if you're taking notes, two things to note. First of all, access is possible. Access is possible. What does Paul say at the very beginning? We're looking at um, that third clause here in Galatians 2.20. He says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Look at that first part with me. What does he say? He says, and the life I now live. It's not a future event. And it's not just, it's not a past event either. He's talking about who he was at that very moment when he's writing to the Galatians. He's saying that this is actually alive and well in me. So access is possible for the people that he's writing to as well. They're identified with Christ. They're union with him, they're connected to him. And so Jesus's resurrection power was alive and well in him as well. We talked about this and hinted towards this last week though. The great treasure, the great Christian hope is one day I'm going to be in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more brokenness. There are no more tears or pain. I will not be in the presence of sin anymore. And sometimes we go about our life kind of defeated though, like ho-hum, woe's me, Jesus take me or take the wheel. Paul is talking to those kind of people that, a me kind of person. We might think of it 
in terms of my wife and her parents. They're selling their house right now. And, you know, they've got six daughters, and now that I'm married into their family, I get to enjoy some, some like, really neat benefits like family vacation and, you know, having a really cool pair of in-laws. Like, they're, they're, they're good and good for you kind of people. Salt of the earth, I love them. Um, there's an inheritance, though, later on. It's not sizable, it's not massive. But, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's a good thing, right? We don't get it until someone dies. How would you feel if I came up to you and I were your son, like the, like the prodigal son, asking mom or dad, can I have what you owe me later on when you're dead? How would that land on you, right? That wouldn't be really good, right? And I'm not about to ask my father-in-law, hey, let me get what you owe me just 20 years early. You know, that, that's not good. But we can treat the Christian life in a similar way, don't we? Watch this. They're so kind. They're selling their house in Kentucky right now to, to, to enjoy a life more regularly and completely in Florida. And they have some furniture in their home. This is, this is a way for us to enjoy this, uh, this inheritance even now. Hey, look, um, you get a couch and a really great bed. I'm thankful for my mom and dad for that. That comes out of our inheritance, but we get to enjoy some of the benefits even now. Not totally and finally, nothing like that. I'm not wishing that they were dead, but there are benefits that come with having generous family members. Friends, a Christian life isn't just something that's way out there in the distant future. Access to the life and power, perseverance, you can have it right now. Right now, in spite of conflict and pain and hardship. What does Paul say next? He says, the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live in my body. So it's not a matter of circumstance and pain and sorrow or even his own flesh that prevents him from being able to experience what God has for him in his own day. Instead, he says, I get to enjoy it now. It's mine right now. And Paul, we know to be someone who knows what it's like to be kicked around and stepped on. He didn't flex and try to raise or rise to the occasion through his own strength and power. When you read 2 Corinthians, he's talking about how there are circumstances and situations that rock him to his very core. Paul wrote Galatians. This is probably his first letter that he wrote to a church. 
We don't see a harder Paul, though, later on. We see a softer Paul recognizing his weakness and finding strength and power when stuff comes his way. This is the kind of Paul that we learn from. You read Philippians 4, he's in prison, but he has joy. Everyone's favorite Bible verse to take out of context is about a man who's in prison that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have joy in a maritime prison. Do you have joy in your circumstances? Or you can read Ephesians 3. Paul says, God's power is at work in him immeasurably. What does that mean? It means that it's without measure. Read 2 Corinthians 12. Paul celebrates in his weakness because Jesus is able to make him strong. He's a weaker and frail man at that time, a thorn in his flesh. Jesus, won't you remove this from me? Instead, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Is Jesus' grace sufficient for you? He's teaching us about this life so that you and I can access it. And Jesus makes this life possible. If that's true, then what's the roadblock? What prevents you from being able to access it? Jesus has immeasurably high, just as his power is immeasurable. His standards for his people are immeasurably high, but also his grace is immeasurably high for us too. What's the barrier? The barrier is faith. Do we believe this? Is this true? Jesus makes it possible, but faith makes it personal. It makes it yours. Look at verse 20 again. I've I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I live, now live, right now, in my body, I live by faith. I live by faith. What, when the Bible talks about faith, what does it mean? Philosophers, Kierkegaard, for example, would say that faith is a blind jump into the dark. We hope beyond all rationality that there's going to be a floor at the bottom if we jump into a place that we cannot see. That isn't what biblical faith is. Faith is an allegiance. There is some kind of assurance. When you read Hebrews 11, what does it say? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, yet not seen. The hope of the Christian is that God keeps every single one of his promises. He always shows up. He says, though, the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith. How does he have this kind of assurance and faith? Did he take God out for a nice seafood dinner and have a conversation with him? 
Is he on speaking terms? Did they get coffee together? Were there some checks and balances? Like, was there an interview process? God, why are you trustworthy? Paul was a student of the Hebrew scriptures and he knew from a very early on age about how God created the heavens and the earth. And even in spite of sin, God promised to make the world right again. And you see throughout the rest of the Hebrew scriptures how God unfolds his saving plan to rescue people and how it culminates ultimately and finally in the person of Jesus. How do we know that God is trustworthy? How can we have faith in God? Because we look at the person of Jesus. All of God's promises are embodied in the person of Jesus. Every single one, including our redemption. We use the New City Catechism at home with our kids. Don't freak out about the word catechism. Um, there might be a negative connotation or two with that. Don't, don't think anything of the sort. It's just a way for us to teach our kids how to follow Jesus. And one of the questions is um, regarding saving faith concerning Jesus. This is what the New City Catechism says. Receiving and resting on Jesus alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. Where Paul used to work really, really hard for God to love him and accept him, he no longer does that and instead rests solely upon the person and work of Jesus. That's what faith looks like. So it's not for faith's sake, and it's not even our faith that grants us access. Can I be really clear about that? Because there's a way that we could talk about trusting Jesus that even makes it sound remotely close to us contributing somehow in some way to what Jesus has done for us. All it is, is walking forward. That's it. Not in a church service. It's just acknowledging that Jesus, what he said, what he did was absolutely 100% sufficient. He's the one that's holding me up. He's the one that brings me back from the dead. He's the one that forgives my sin. Faith is a disposition of the heart. It's a disposition of the heart that in any given moment, I'm making a value judgment about someone's words and actions. I'm believing that they are good, that they're honest, that they're holding true to their word. It's only Jesus himself. And so a passage like this might step on people that have so-called small faith. Notice, though, the passage doesn't say anything about the measure of the faith that you have. This passage is rightly applied to people that have walked with Jesus faithfully for 90 years and people that just started following Jesus nine minutes ago. 
It's not about the measure of your faith. It's about moving towards the one that can actually rescue you and save you. It's not about the quantity of your faith. It's about the quality of the one in whom you trust. That is it. The life I now live, I live by faith in whom the son of God, watch this, Mark 2, you remember this story? There are four guys, they're dragging their friend who's paralyzed. They're dragging and carrying their friend to Jesus. Do you know the story? What happens? Do they try to like wave their hands and get his attention? They're digging a hole through someone's house, okay? Homeowners, um, if you had the Kool-Aid man um, busting through the wall of your house with someone that desperately needed life support, how would you respond? Sure, I wanna help that guy, but sure, I wanna know who's gonna repair my house. Jesus was teaching the crowds. Four friends hoist this man up onto a house. They start digging through. This doesn't communicate that there's a plan B to me. There's desperation here for their friend. If Jesus doesn't do this, I don't know what else we're gonna do kind of thing. Mark 2 verse 5, Mark notices something that's very peculiar here. He says, Jesus saw their faith and he says to them, son, your sins have been forgiven. What does faith look like in the life of a person? The kind of faith that Paul has that he's talking about, that he experiences and he's telling about his experience isn't, isn't ethereal, it's not mere mental ascent. There's concreteness to it that's fleshed out in his life. If you were to ask the person that knows you best, what does it look like I trust in ultimately and finally, what would they say? When you share the gospel with lost friends and family members, if they were to push back and ask, I don't know if it's actually Jesus that you trust in, how would that land on you? The good news is that it's not dependent upon me. My faith has never been enough. It's only faith in the Son of God who is immeasurably powerful, who's wonderfully gracious and gentle and kind and near to sinners like you and me. We have reason to trust him and to grow in trust in him. but walk it out slowly.
in order to gain the treasure and riches of this life, they're one of two realities that need to be true. The, 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 the riches of this new life that Jesus promises us. Either we need to be spiritually perfect and never, ever, ever let go. Or we need someone to make the introduction for us. We need someone to grant us access. Going back to theme parks for a moment, we went to Bush Gardens for the first time earlier this year. And let me tell you, it was great. Um, I don't know if you know this though, theme parks in Florida offer amazing discounts to Florida residents. And I was about that. I wanted to save money. There are only a couple of ways that I can do that though. One is by moving back to Florida. That doesn't sound like a great option right now. There is another option. Thank the Lord for sister-in-laws that live there. We PayPal her a couple of bucks more than that. <laughs> but she purchases it for us on our behalf. It's not good enough, though, to just have that. Like, it, it's not good enough for us to just have tickets that say Florida resident. I actually have to show proof of it. My license or a bill or something like that. It wouldn't have worked had she not come with us. There's no way that you and I can meet God's incredible expectations on our own. It is impossible. We demonstrated this over and again. We wanted to live life apart from him, apart from Jesus, the word made flesh. But what he does is introduce us not just by giving us a golden ticket, but by walking with us hand in hand through the threshold. Not to just promise us eternal life with him, but to live with me, to live with you, to be with you forever. The life we now live, we live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for us. We get to that next week. I talk a lot about action points and honestly, truly the action point from last week and the week before is the very same one for today. If you were weak and tired, the call is for you to trust in Jesus, to know him and know his grace, experience his power in fighting sin, leaning on his strength to be faithful for today. And if you don't trust Jesus, the, the, the call to action is the same thing for you today. It's not a blind jump into the dark, but it's to know that there's actual substance to the claims that Jesus makes. The greatest longing of your heart isn't found anywhere else but in him. Believe him today. Know him today. Trust and follow today. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you for, Father, thank you for a man like Paul. Paul had no issue being a small man who pointed people to a really big God. Jesus, in our frailty and smallness, um, and in our small faith sometimes, we are insufficient, we are deficient. But may the character of our faith be one that runs and sprints towards you when storms come or when doubt comes. Jesus, you are big enough for it. Would you help us today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.